Now, before I read to you the section that we're going to be studying tonight, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 through 28, we ended our study last time with a question about the wolf referenced in Jeremiah chapter 5. So I'm going to read real quick Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 6. All right, this was where we ended up last time. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore a lion from the forest shall strike them down, a wolf from the desert shall devastate them, a leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their apostasies are great. Speaking of the judgment uh, on Jerusalem because they refused to repent. Now, as we dealt with last time we were together, we saw that God did use animal references a lot to describe the ferocity of judgment that he was going to use against his people uh, when he brought judgment. He sometimes, though, would use an animal reference to specifically describe an actual nation, like we saw the lion was Babylon, and the bear was Medo-Persia, and the leopard was Greece, and so on. And the question was, well, who's the wolf? Is the wolf a specific nation? Because it kind of reads like it is one. Well, this is going to be helpful for our study tonight, because it's going to teach us to build our interpretations of, on Scripture and on what has been revealed in Scripture alone, and to be okay with not knowing everything. The actual answer to the question is, we don't know who the wolf is. And if anybody says the wolf is, well, have them show you in Scripture where it clearly shows you that. Not, well, I think the wolf is. No, there's too much of that. We, we, the last thing we want is people interpreting the Bible and saying, well, I think it means this, or I think it means that. That's a dangerous place to be. At the same time, the... Uh, as I studied on that and dove into it, I found no clear reference to any specific nation anywhere else in Scripture being called a wolf. And so we have to leave it alone for right now. But the good news is that for our passage for tonight, there are many other passages that help us with the interpretation and clarity. So knowing what and who is being spoken about should be very understandable for us tonight. I'm hope, as you're going to see, I'm going to bomb you with Scripture to illustrate who the fourth beast is in Daniel's vision. Now, as always, if there are any parts that we don't fully know or they haven't been revealed to us yet, I'm okay and hopefully you're okay with saying we don't know yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our desire today is to know everything and have it all figured out. And you have to be careful in your desire to seek and to search and to study. The Bible says that that's a good thing. Don't move to the realm of I have to know it all. That's not possible. All right. So let's now take a look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 through 28. Daniel says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the three first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands and thousands served him, served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to the be burned with fire. 
Now, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and a glory and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and it trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we won't be able to cover all of these verses tonight. We're going to be covering a bunch of them again next week, especially the ones that deal with the Ancient of Days and the kingdom being handed over to Jesus and all that, and the final judgment of the fourth beast and the Antichrist and all that. We'll deal with that next week. But what we're going to deal now tonight with is who is and what is this fourth beast. We've already seen that the lion is Babylon in Daniel's vision. The bear is Medo-Persia and the leopard is Greece. Now the fourth beast that Daniel saw didn't look like any other specific type of animal, and it was totally different from the other beasts. Look back again at Daniel 7, verse 7. He says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That's going to be important for us. Now, this beast was devastatingly ferocious, and it had ten horns, as we just saw. But we also saw from Daniel chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream that the fourth kingdom was the Romans. Remember, the fourth kingdom was the Romans. The head of gold was Babylon. Chest of silver was Medo-Persia. The bronze thighs was, uh, or midsection was Greece. And the legs were the legs of iron. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, though. Go back to Daniel 2 and look at verses 31 through 
45. In Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31, it says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, and all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, unto whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. And just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with the clay. Listen closely, this is important. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw the stone that was cut out from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So here we see that Nebuchadnezzar had been given this dream, and he saw this statue with a head of gold, chest of silver, thigh of bronze, legs of iron, and then the feet had iron and clay mixed and had ten toes, of course. And then later on, many years later, Daniel's given a vision, and he's given a vision of these same kingdoms, but they're four beasts. The first one was a lion, the second was a bear, the second, next one was a, a leopard, and the fourth was a beast that was terrifying, and it didn't look like any other animal. He couldn't even really describe it as an animal, and it was a terrifying beast. But as we saw, as he looked at this beast, it had ten horns, just like the fourth kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream had toes, ten toes. This one has ten horns. And as we're going to get to, one, another horn rose up, removed three, and we're going to get into all that. The tricky part of the interpretation of this is that you have to put a whole of scripture together to really understand what's going on here. Babylon was the one world power, and it did exist. As we saw there, Daniel was told, and he told Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Babylon is that first part. After you is going to come a lesser kingdom. And we know that it was the Medes and the Persians. We studied last time we were together that the beast was a bear laying on its side, one side higher than the other. And again, as we jumped over to chapter 8, he had also been given later on a vision of a ram that had two horns, and one horn was a little bit bigger than the other, describing the Medo-Persian kingdom. Then after that, as we looked at last time we were together, the bronze part of the statue, which was the next, was uh, Greece, and described as a leopard in 
Daniel's vision. And we looked at how Daniel's uh, interpretation was true and sure to the point that we looked at Alexander the Great and his history. We'll get into it in much more detail when we get to chapter 8. But then comes the fourth kingdom, which was the fourth kingdom after that, which was, in, in, as you're going to see, was and will be again Rome. All right. The Roman kingdom was the one that came after Greece, and they were terrifyingly ferocious. I mean, if you do any study of the Romans and how they conquered versus how the others did, you know, when the, when the Medes and the Persians came in, they took over and people like Daniel and others just continued living under their rule. When Alexander the Great did the conquering that he did, it was swift and they took over a lot of vast areas, but they didn't ter terrify or, or torture people, but the Romans did. When the Romans took over, they would kill and enslave and it was just torturous what they did. But as we saw in Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and we see in Daniel's dream and his vision here, that there's going to be one that's going to come, the kingdom is going to be given to him, and he's going to give it to the saints of the Most High. This, this one that looks like the Son of Man, which we'll get to next week, he comes in the, the stone, he's described as a stone not cut out by human hands in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he comes and he destroys what part of the statue? He attacks what? The feet. Remember, the feet are made up of some iron and some clay. When Jesus comes back in Daniel's vision, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, he attacks the beast, but the beast has ten horns, and at this point, another horn has come up. And we saw in Daniel's interpretation... It says, in the days of those kings, the stone is going to come and set up his kingdom. Now, jump over to, Daniel, uh, to uh, Revelation chapter 17. Go to, go to Revelation chapter 17, and we'll start in verse 3, and then we'll jump over to verses 12 through 17. Revelation 17, verse 3, says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Jump over to verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they'll make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. Now hang on for a second. Does anybody know when John wrote the book of Revelation? Around 95, 96 A.D., after Jesus has already been to the earth, he's already died on the cross, he's already risen from the dead, the church age has been going on for a little bit of time, John's one of the apostles, and he's been exiled to the island of Patmos because of the preaching of the gospel, and while he's there, he's visited by Jesus himself, and Jesus lays out for him what's still going to happen. 
He talks about what he saw on the island. Then he was told to write about the church age. And then after that, chapter four, he's taken off the earth and he says, come up here. I'm going to show you what's going to take place after this. And then from that point on, he starts seeing what's going to happen during the tribulation period and so on. So if in the days of those kings, the kingdom is going to be handed over to Jesus, the stone cut out not by human hands. And in AD 95, Thousands of years later, he's told those kings haven't received their kingdom yet. As much as Rome was the fourth beast, it was only the legs of iron. There is still a rebuilding of the Roman Empire to come. Who was in power, by the way? Who was the world power when Jesus came to the earth the first time? Rome was. When Jesus came in the flesh. Of course, he came to the earth many times prior to that. But he came in, in flesh to be the suffering servant and to die for our sins. He, but Rome was in power at that time. But Jesus didn't come and defeat the Roman Empire. He was put to death on a cross and he rose from the dead and went back to the Father until the time that the kingdom is going to be given to him, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3. And so the Bible shows us that even though there were four kingdoms that ruled the earth, Right around the time that the church age came to, into fruition, the one world government, one world power thing kind of came to a, a slowing stop. And during this church age, there's not been a one world power, but there's going to be again. And tell me that the world isn't trying to make it happen now. I mean, they're trying to figure out how they can get North America and South America together and and make one big continent out of that, and they're trying to get the European Union together, and their, their ultimate plan is to make a one-world government. And I hear so many people saying, oh man, all the wicked people behind the scenes, they're all plotting, they're all plotting a one-world government. Duh. Jesus told us that's what's going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised. And I think if we read correctly, Daniel, under the power of the Spirit of God, said, this interpretation is sure and it's going to happen. Folks, there is coming a one world government again. There's going to be a one world kingdom again. And by the way, you don't want to be on the earth when this kingdom is in control because it is going to be terrifying and it's not going to be like any other kingdom you've ever seen to the point that as we remember from our study of Revelation, the Antichrist, this one horn we're going to get to later tonight, is going to make it so that if you don't take his mark on your forehead or your hand, you're not even able to eat. You can't buy or sell. And many, many people are going to be killed during this time. But let me just tell you, this kingdom of Jesus is still to come. It's still to come. Because in the days of those kings who haven't received a kingdom yet, Jesus is going to come and set up his. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Look at verses 1 through 10. He said, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Isn't that interesting? Sound familiar? And to it the dragon, that's Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast, and who can fight against it? 
And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Doesn't that sound familiar to what we've already read tonight? That horn, extra horn that came up. And it was allowed to exercise for 42, authority for 42 months. We read tonight in Daniel 7 that it was three and a half years, same, time, same length of time here, 42 months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And then he says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, Rome was the world power for a while after Greece. They were in power when Jesus came to the earth the first time. But Rome fell. And just during this time in history that we know is the church age or the times of the Gentiles, Israel and God's final plans for her are on hold. But God's not done. We're in a time period right now that he's doing something different. We're going to get to that when we get to chapter 9. But we're do he's doing something different right now where he's actually saving the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. If you were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21, way, way back at the beginning of Israel's history, as he's calling them out of Egypt into the promised land through Moses, he lays out for them their whole history. You go look at it later on, chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. It's mind-blowing how God is going to say, you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. Then you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And he said in chapter 32, verse 21, you're going to go after other gods, which aren't gods, and make me jealous. I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people and make you jealous. And that's us. Go to Romans chapter 11. I want you to see it from Romans chapter 11. The church is distinct from the nation of Israel. Now, anyone of the nation of Israel, any Jew that comes to faith in Jesus Christ is included in the church. The Bible actually says this great mystery that's being revealed is that the Gentiles are co-heirs with the Jews of their promises. But God has a specific plan for the nation, the people of Israel. And he's not done, even though he's put them on hold. Listen to Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So, as Paul deals with this question, is God done with Israel? What's the obvious answer? No, not at all. Jump down in chapter 11 to verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 11. So I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel Jealous, that goes back to that verse that I quoted to you, Deuteronomy 32, 21. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, 
how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, Paul says, in as much that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So again, he asked this question. Have they fallen to the point that never to be picked back up again? No. Jump down to chapter 11, verses 25 through 32. Chapter 11, Romans, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. So again, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant and miss out on this. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until what? The full number of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. There comes a time that the church age comes to a close. And God then picks up where he left off with the nation of Israel. Oh, during that time, the nation of Israel is going to go through a purifying like you wouldn't believe. The prophecies say that two-thirds of them are going to be killed during that time period. And one-third is going to escape and survive. And all those who survive of the Jews to the end of the tribulation period are going to all come to faith in Jesus Christ. So when it says all Israel will be saved, it's everyone that survives. That's why Jesus in Matthew 24, as he's talking to the Jews about the sign of his coming and the end of the age, and he lays out for them the tribulation period and how there's going to be a white horse and an antichrist. And then there's going to be the red horse, as we know in Revelation and the opening of the seals and the wars and the plagues and the rumors of wars and all that. And then he goes on in Matthew 24 and he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Keep in mind, by the way, Jesus, when he was on the earth, spoke of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9 and chapter 11 is still future. There are a lot of people who have tried to make Antiochus Epiphanes the fulfillment of the Daniel prophecies. No, because after Antiochus Epiphanes had already offered pigs on the altar, Jesus stood in Jerusalem and said, when you see future, the abomination of desolation, Jews, you better run for your lives and get out of Jerusalem and get out of Judea. And then what does he say? And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Folks, you and I aren't saved by standing firm to the end. We're saved by grace through Jesus Christ and Him sealing us. But the Jews who can survive to the end of the tribulation period are all going to come to faith, every single one of them. And they're all going to believe. And all Israel will be saved at that time, those who come to faith. Again, as much as there was a one world power named Babylon, and there was after that a lesser kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, and after that, Greece, for a brief period of time. And then after that, the Romans. There's been a pause, if you will, in God's plan. Oh, everything's right on schedule and everything's happening. But what he's laid out for us, 
And you're going to see when we get to Daniel chapter 9, that pause very clearly in the prophecy of the 77s, or the 77s that are coming for the nation of Israel. You'll see that when we get to it. But we're in this time period right now where Jesus is doing this thing called the church age, but it's drawing close to an end. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, God's time period and his plan that he's prophesied will pick back up. And in the days of those kings, Jesus will come back. Oh, by the way, did you catch it? There's only one more world power left. The rebuilding of the Roman Empire, which is the, t the feet, partly of iron, partly of clay with ten toes. There's only one left. And in the time of that one, you don't want to be here when it's here. In the time of that one, Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom on the earth. Now, we're going to jump over Daniel 7, verses 9 through 14, and come back to it next week in our study. We saw that as Daniel was looking at the ten horns of the fourth beast, another horn, an eleventh one, came up among them and removed three horns, three kings, if you will, in the process. Look again at Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, he says, I considered the horns, the ten horns on this beast, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Remember how we read in Revelation already tonight, how this one, we know him now as the Antichrist, is going to be speaking a lot of boastful and blasphemous things. Now Daniel really wanted to know more about this 11th horn, and he asked someone that he saw in his vision who was standing there around the throne, God's throne, and this is what he was told. Go over to chapter 7, look at verses 19 through 27 again. He said, I desired to know the truth about the fourth beach, which was different from all the rest, exceeding terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. By the way, that's three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. It's said over and over and over all throughout Scripture, that the second half of the tribulation period, this middle point of the tribulation period, of the seven-year period, the midpoint of three and a half years is when his power comes into authority. And during that last three and a half years, it's going to be bad. And then we say here that after that, the court's going to sit in judgment. And so, now, there are other writers of the Bible, and they were given visions as well and prophecies about this 11th horn. We know him now as the Antichrist. Daniel's given some in, insight into him. We'll get to more when we get to chapter 11. But also John, as we touched on and already saw tonight in the book of Revelation, was given some insight into this 11th horn. We also know that Paul wrote about him as well. Go to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 12. Paul says to the church there in Thessalonica, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction." who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what's restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will come, Sorry, will be revealed. The lost one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure. And unrighteousness. Paul's writing to the church and he said, look, as I, I'm going to remind you about the fact that Jesus is coming and we're going to be gathered to him. We're going to be taken to go be with him. Don't be alarmed by any teaching or someone saying that they have a letter that seems to be from us saying that the day's already come, that, that you've missed it. You know, you have to remember the early church was going through some real hard times, were they not? People were being put to death. People were being burned at the stake. People were being fed to the lions. There were a lot of people saying, look how bad Christians are being treated. We're in that time period. And Paul says, no, no, we're not. That time period won't happen until the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Oh, and you want to recognize who it is? He's going to be the one who steps into the temple, sits down in the temple of God and declares himself to be God. By the way, Antiochus Epiphanes had already come and gone on the world history scene at this point when Paul wrote this. It's still future. On top of that, he then says, but you guys know what's holding him back. Oh, lawlessness is already at work. There's, there's wickedness going on already. But you know what's keeping him back. And he won't be revealed until he who restrains him is taken out of the way. Who's he who restrains him? The Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, if he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us, when he says, I'm out of here, who gets to go with him? Us. He's going to take us to go with him. I love how you said that, Charlie. Me. I love it. That's awesome. Me. Listen, don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. You don't want to know. Because if you know, that's bad news. That's bad news. Go to Daniel chapter 9 and look at verse 27. We're just going to show you a couple of prophecies from Daniel. We're not going to study them in detail. We'll do that when we get there to chapter 9 and chapter 11. But look at Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 27. Daniel 9 verse 27. And he, this is the prophesied one, the Antichrist. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. When we get to chapter 9, you'll see that's one, one seven-year period. And for half of the week, 
He'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So here we see in Daniel's prophecy that there's one that's going to come and he's going to make a, a covenant with many people, and Israel included, for one seven-year period. But at the halfway point of that seven-year period, he's going to do the abomination that causes desolation, and he's going to be in power until the time for his destruction comes. Jump over to chapter 8, look at verses 23 through 26. Daniel chapter 8, look at verses 23 through 26. Now again, when we get to chapter 8, we'll deal with this in much more detail, because the first part of chapter 8 is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, but the prophecy about Antiochus Epiphanes changes in the middle of it. But we'll get to that in chapter 11. I mean, in chapter 11, we'll see it change. But in chapter 8, verses 23 through 26, here we see, jump over here, and at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make, a deceit, make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So here we see, again, the prophecy about the latter end of this one kingdom. When transgressions have reached their full limit, a king of bold face to understand riddles shall arise, and his power shall be great, but not by his own power. We've already seen it tonight. Whose power is he working under? Satan's power. Oh, but then it says that he's going to, Rise up against Jesus, the Prince of Princes, and he'll be broken. But did you catch it? But by no human hand. Folks, again, I hope you've started to see over the years of our Bible studies, if you're willing to take the time and let the Holy Scripture speak, what you read makes sense because we've already seen in Daniel's earlier vision, a stone cut out by no human hand. Jump over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 36 through 39. Verses 29 through 35 are dealing with Antiochus Epiphanes, which we'll deal with when we get to chapter 11. But look at verse 36. The prophecy changes. And the king, this is a different king. This is the Antichrist. This is not Antiochus Epiphanes. The king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or the, the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and very costly gifts. And he shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land. For a price. Oh, by the way, did anybody think about the fact that the prophecy said that this Antichrist, this one that's coming on the white horse, I didn't take it to Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and how Jesus opened the first seal, and this rider came out acting like Jesus on a white horse. 
Did anybody ever think about the fact that the prophecy said he's going to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God? Wait a minute. There's no temple in Israel. There hasn't been since it was destroyed by the Romans. How's he going to step into the wing of the temple? It's going to have to be rebuilt. I mean, if God's word is true and God's word is true, there's going to be a rebuilt temple. We don't know when. It could happen before Jesus comes and gets us. It could happen after he comes and gets us. But there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. Hang on for a second. How are the, how are the Palestinians and the Arabs going to allow that? Unless there's some kind of a, an agreement, some kind of a peace treaty. Maybe, and again, I don't know how it's all going to play out. Maybe they're going to divide the land. By the way, they haven't been trying to do that for a while, have they? A two-state solution, maybe. I don't know how it's all going to play out. But if you go back to Jeremiah, sorry, to Joel chapter 3, we don't have time tonight, but in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that when God brings all the nations together at the end and judges them in the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Jehoshaphat, he's going to deal with them how they treated Israel and because they divided his land. Yes, ma'am. Sure. I've heard a little bit of a possible underground temple that's been built. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, again, I, I, I would be careful about getting sucked into some of that stuff because, again, I don't know fully how it's all going to play out. But the moment we start saying, oh, this is how it's going to be, we get ourselves in trouble. Beware of reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other because that makes us try to be God and figure it out. Again, like I say, there's lots of things that are out there right now because of the fact that there's so much focus on what's happening in Israel and all that. We know that, that, that there's a, a, an organization that's ready for the moment that they can rebuild the temple. They've already got the blueprints. They've already got all the materials. They're all, everything's ready to go. So there's another group that's ready to rebuild it. Some people are saying, well, it's already here underground. Don't figure it out. It's tempting it's tantalizing, but the moment you think you got God figured out, you don't. As we've seen from the scripture over the years, the church won't be here during the tribulation period. So who are these saints that we've seen all tonight that the Antichrist conquers? I mean, we've seen that he's been able to have victory over the saints and defeat the saints and conquer the saints. Jim, you keep saying the church won't be here. But how come their saints are being conquered? Well, again, let's let the scripture answer scripture. Let me ask you a real quick question. Are there Old Testament saints? Were they a part of the church? No. Yes and no. In the sense that they're going to be grafted. We're all going to be put together in God's ultimate plan through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's Old Testament saints. There's church age saints. There's tribulation saints. But also, listen closely, I'm going to also show you this is also referring to not just tribulation saints, but the believing Jews during that time. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Look at verses 20 through 24 again. Daniel chapter 9. Dan Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, 
came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, tell it to you, for you're greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks or seventy sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, we were going to get into that when we get to nine, but Daniel's praying about the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the nation, and Gabriel comes and said, I've got an answer for your prayer. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your city, Jerusalem. Now, we, as we get to Daniel 9, and I break it all down for you, I'm going to show you how the first 63 of those sevens were already taken care of. But there's one last seven-year period that's left. And if the first part is for Israel and the city of Jerusalem, the last part's for them too. So keep in mind, it's not just tribulation saints. It's going to be Jews. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people, who are, his, who are his people. I heard it, the Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So again, we've already seen Jesus say in Matthew 24 that that time period is going to be like none other on the whole earth. Now in Daniel 12, that time period is described as none other and for the people of Israel. And who are the saints, according to Daniel 12, that Satan's not going to conquer? The people whose name are, who are written in the book of life, but also it's the Jews. Listen. But there are also going to be some who are conquered. There are going to be others who are wore out. Remember, Satan's going to go after who? During that time period through the Antichrist? He's going to go after the Jews. And there are going to be some that are saints and some that aren't. We'll go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verses 4 through 7. For the sake of time, we're not going to go to Matthew 24, but if you were to look at Matthew 24 later on in verses 9 through 22, again, you'll see Jesus talking to the Jews about what was coming on them during that time. Jeremiah 30, listen to verses 4 through 7. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic and of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for who? Jacob. Yet he shall be saved out of it. Will it affect the whole world? Definitely. But God's dealing with Israel during that time and the whole world. But his focus is going to be on the nation of Israel. Go to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Look at verses 2 through 4. Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. In that day, that's prophecy in times language. 
The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There'll be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. So here again, in that day, when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth and he sets up his kingdom from Zion, from Jerusalem, from Israel, who's going to be included in that? All of those who have been spared and made holy, who's left in Zion, well, here they're described as the survivors of Israel. And all Israel that survives, he who stands firm to the end, will be saved. The saints are also going to include the Jews who come to faith during that time. There's going to be many. I mean, think about this for a second, folks. Do you know the Bible actually says that at the beginning of the tribulation period, don't miss this. And by the way, I think we got time to show it to you. Go to Revelation 7 real quick. Go to Revelation 7. Look at verses 9 through 17. And I'll set this up for you. Revelation 7 verses 9 through 17. That there's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will be going out over the whole globe to preach during the tribulation period. Well, how in the world are there going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses? Not only that, there are going to be 144,000 male virgin Jews who are going out to preach. Well, that sounds like God might be, at the end, starting to regather Israel. And, well, listen to Revelation 9, 7 through, sorry, Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them like it did in the tribulation period, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He'll guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So here we see that because of the preaching of the 144,000 Jews going out the whole of the earth at the beginning of the tribulation, there's going to be many from all nations that are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So yes, the tribulation saints are going to be included, in the tribulation saints are going to be included the believers from other nations as well, but it's also going to be Jews who come to faith. If you were to go and look, you'll see in chapter 7, back up to chapter 7, verse 1, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, 
holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow, remember that's judgment, on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then it lists 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin are sealed. So here we see God at the beginning of the tribulation period, just as all the judgment's about to come, the angels in charge of that judgment are told, don't do anything until 144,000 Jews are sealed. And they're going to go out as witnesses throughout the tribulation period. Folks, during this time, Jews are going to come to faith. In Jesus Christ. Go to Zephaniah, I'm sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13. We're going to do verse 1 and then jump to verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 13, verse 1, and then verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 13, verse 1. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Jump down to verse 8. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Are the Jews going to come to faith in Jesus? Yes. They're going to go through a hard time in the process, though. Go ahead. Pretty much. Yes. I, I think it's a great way to put it. 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. By the way, remember I told you to start praying for God's Spirit to keep, start moving on to the Jews? Remember we talked about the homework assignment? The nation of Israel's come back and the bones have come together, but there's no breath in them yet. Be praying for that, folks, and be watching. Be praying for it and be watching. Because as God begins to move his drawing from the Gentiles back to the Jews at the last times, you're going to see God do a work, and that means our time here is coming to a close. Now we're going to wrap up tonight by saying this. Let me ask you a question. Um, was the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, according to Daniel, sure, and it's going to happen? Did the first part that has already happened happen literally like he said it would? Yes. Did Daniel's vision happen up to the part that is still yet to come? Has it all happened exactly like he said it would? Yes. That means everything we've looked at tonight is going to happen. It is still future. The coming kingdom of God is still to come on this earth. I'm going to show you next week Bible passages that show that the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God cannot and will not coincide when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom on the earth. All right? When he comes, he destroys all the kingdoms of men and sets up his kingdom. Now, I'm going to deal a little bit next time when we're together about how the kingdom is alive now through the church and through the spirit working through the church, but the kingdom is still yet to come. The kingdom is still yet to come. But here's another question for you as we close. Are you going to escape what's still to come, or are you going to be here? 
Let me take you to Revelation chapter 3. Go to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 10. Remember, this is a promise not just to that one church during that time period. This is a promise to all the churches. Remember, it says here where the Spirit says to the church is. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 10. And because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Paul says, don't be concerned about any letter or any prophecy that says the tribulation period's already here. That's not going to happen until all this bad stuff that we've been talking about begins to happen and the Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple and declares himself to be God. But you know what's keeping him back. And he won't be revealed until he who restrains is out of the way. And when he goes out of the way, we go with him. And so God's already promised, Jesus has promised to his churches, to the church, that we will escape the hour trial that's coming on the earth. Folks, pray for your family members that don't know the Lord. Pray for your friends. Don't just have an attitude that says, all right, Jesus, come get us. No, the reason we're still here is because there's more that need to hear. And he wants to use us as his witnesses and his ambassadors. And the reason he's been patient is because he's not willing any to perish. It's a tendency for Christians to say, I'm so glad I'm saved. All right, Jesus, let's go. Aren't you glad he waited until 1973 or whatever it was the year you got saved? I got saved in 73. Aren't you glad he waited until you got to be here? Don't be so selfish that you say, okay, Lord, I'm in, let's go. But at the same time, be encouraged by the fact that God's plan is on schedule and it's all going to happen. Don't get too caught up in all the stuff that's going on in the globe. Don't get so sucked into politics that you lose sight of why we're here. We're not here to change the world. We're here to point people to Jesus and to give him glory. Look forward to talking about his kingdom to come next week. I love you. Thanks for coming.